So good morning, listeners, and welcome to Sacred Space 102 FM, which is a Common Sea Inspirations production, being produced here in our Common Sea studio here in Arda. And this is the 23rd of August. It's the 21st Sunday at Ordinary Time. My name is John Keeley, and help me again to present the programme. Shane Ambrose, good morning to you, Shane. Good morning, John, and how are we keeping we're, today? We're we good. Survived storms? Storms, yeah, 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 yeah. We won't say too much more about those, but thanks be to God, all is safe and sound. We hope that those people who might have been affected by them in some way is not as bad as what people thought. But thanks be to God for ourselves, we're good. And in that, case, in that frame of mind, we also want to welcome those listeners who are housebound and lonely and struggling in some way. And hopefully they got over these storms in more recent times. And our listeners who support us each week in prayer. And we thank them and we thank them for continuing to, to stay in touch with us how much they enjoy the programme, whether they listen to it, at 10 o'clock of a Sunday morning, where we broadcast Mass from Abbeyfield Parish, and then have a short little, it might be part of this particular programme, or some other recordings that we've made. At 11pm, it's Sunday night, where we obviously broadcast this particular programme that we're recording. Again, just to remind people, uh, these, these recordings are available for playback and download on our Come and See Inspirations podcast page. Just Google Come and See Inspirations. Uh, wherever you are, you, you can get that. And in fact, I was just looking there, Shane, just last week's uh, just last week's program, just as a matter of interest, where Marion Carroll spoke to us about our miracle cure at Knock. And just looking at some of the stats, I mean, some of the people that tuned in to listen to that, Abu Dhabi, Australia, New York, San Francisco, uh, France, Germany, UK, of course, Ireland, just shows you, if you do, uh, just remind listeners again, if they do have friends or relations in different parts of the world, if they, if they want to Google Come and See Inspirations, they can just hear this program the same as the people down the road in Newcastle West are listening to us. Uh, just to remind listeners again of our text number 087 That's 87 Or email us Come and see inspirations at gmail.com. Now, Shane, science for the week, please. Yeah, I'll try and be quick, John, but there are a couple of interesting things on, on the terms of the calendar this week. So, uh, as, so it says 23rd of August, so it's the 21st Sunday in Ordinary Time. For those, those of us praying the Psalter, we're on week one. Um, Monday, the 24th of August, feast day of St. Bartholomew. Name occurs in the Gospels, generally associated with St. Philip, Probably one of the saints associated, probably another name from his Nathaniel from Cana. We're not 100% sure. By, by tradition, he is supposed to have preached the gospel in India. Uh, but the interesting thing actually about him is his depictions. You're very likely to see St. Bartholomew in various places. He's a very famous part of The Last Judgment, Michelangelo's masterpiece in the Sistine Chapel. His statue in St. John's Lateran Basilica in Rome is rather interesting as well. And the reason being is that St. Bartholomew happens to be the patron saint of tanners and those that work with leather workers. Now, this comes with a breakfast warning. The reason being he's martyrdom. He was flayed. So his skin was skinned off of him. So he's shown generally holding his skin in pictures, and that's including Michelangelo's The Last Judgment. So it's an interesting one. His relics are in Rome, in the Basilica of St. Bartholomew, and it's an interesting church on an island in the middle of the Tiber, because it is in the care of the community of San Andigio, and it holds the relics of the martyrs of the 20th century. 
Um, for me, it's one of those churches I often visit. Uh, I, I always plan to visit any time I'm in Rome, and it's a lovely basilica in the middle of the Tiber. Then Tuesday is the feast day of St. Louis, King of France. Louis IX died in 1270, father of 11 children, a man of integrity. He died in Tunisia on his way for the Second Crusade. He's patron of the French monarchy and of the and of barbers. And the reason why his name would probably ring bells with some people in our listeners is the fact that it was a statue of St. Louis that they tried to topple in Louisville in the United States recently. So that's where the name comes from. Then on Wednesday, the 26th, it's a big feast day for the Polish community. It is our feast day of Our Lady of Czestochowa, which is the famous Black Madonna that people will know, the famous icon of the Black Madonna, very much associated, of course, uh, with, with St. John Paul II, because he had a great devotion to Our Lady. She is revered in, 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 in Poland, as she's the Queen of Poland, and it's saved at the, I think it's pronounced the Jasna Gora Monastery, and it has an interesting history in terms of its protection as a source of inspiration for the people of Poland. And uh, so that feast day is celebrated on Wednesday. On Thursday, we have the feast day of St. Monica. I always like the feast day of St. Monica, um, John. She died in 387 AD. And Monica's, re I suppose if you like her claim to fame, is her son is St. Augustine. And the reason that Monica is generally held up as a model and a role model, she's the patron saint of mothers, because Augustine would have been a child to break any mother's heart. And uh, she converted her pagan husband and eventually her prayers and her tears, it's always described, her prayers and her tears brought her son, St. Augustine, to Christianity. Um, so that's whose feast day we celebrate on the 27th of uh, August. And I often think of that for mothers and for grandmothers out there who might be worried about their children and their grandchildren in terms of the practice of the faith, I would say that Monica would be someone that you could turn to in prayer and as a as a guide, maybe. But also, you know, to, rec to be conscious of the fact that God is always present. He never, he never leaves someone, he never leaves people alone. And it's always possible that people will come back to that relationship as well. And Monica is a great patron for that. So just for families in particular that might be worried about that. On Friday the 28th, we have the feast day, of course, of St. Augustine. Augustine's one of the great doctors of the church, a man who has written, who's still quoted down to the present day, died in 430 AD. He was the Bishop of Hippo, but he got there through a rather circuitous route. Uh, for many years, he didn't practice any faith. Then he joined the Manchines and led a life that was, shall we say, less than stellar. Uh, famously said in his confessions, God, give me chastity and continence, but not just now. Uh, eventually, he broke with them and was converted by the prayers of his mother and the help of St. Ambrose of Milan, who baptized him. Then he returned to Africa on the death of his mother and set up shop in Hippo, and he was bishop there in 396. Uh, his writings are still with us today. There's, they're numerous on the Trinity, on virginity. They're still there, still referred to. But of course, his most famous book that he wrote is his Confessions, which is an interesting read. Um, it can be a bit dry, but you know, if people have the time, it's well worth having to dip in and dip out of it. Then finally, on the 29th of August, we have the feast day of with the memorial of the Passion of St. John the Baptist. Of course, John literally losing his head over a woman or rather, she taking his head off at the bequest at the request of Herod. So that's what we have, John, in terms of the celestial guides for this week. Shane, thank you so much for that. Before we go for our break, there's a spirit of communion prayer that we always pray for those of us who can't get to receive Holy Communion. 
maybe at Mass this morning, and this is the prayer we pray. My Jesus, I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot now receive you sacramentally, come spiritually into my soul. I embrace you as already there. I unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. So now it's time to go for our first bit of music, maybe just before that, just to remind listeners to stay with us in part two, where Shane is going to introduce, uh, is in, introduce and interview Christine Hopter, who's the, um, the chaplain in Limerick Prison. But just before that, we'll go for our first bit of music. As I said, it's by the Maranatha Singers, and this one is entitled The Worship Song. So come back and join us again in part two. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to our uh, program this morning here on West Limerick 102. My name is Shane Ambrose, and I'm still joined in studio this morning by John Keeley here on Sacred Space 102, a common see production brain broadcast here on West Limerick 102. And we are delighted this morning to welcome to the program, uh, I think, John, for us, it's a first. Um, it's, we're delighted to welcome to the program this morning, Christine Hopter. Good morning, Christine. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm I'm doing very well, thank you. Now I'm, we're delighted to be here. Perfect, thank you. We're delighted to have Christine on this morning because Christine, you have what some people might regard as rather an unusual job. You are the chaplain to the prison in Limerick City. Is that correct? Uh, that's correct. I am one of the chaplains. There is two of us there. Um, I'm a, a lay person. And the other chaplain is Father Michael Kelleher from the Redemptress um, Order. So um, 
in terms of is it an, an unusual position? I suppose, as you said, yes, some people would regard it as, as unusual. I suppose for myself, I don't regard it as quite unusual, but um, um, I suppose because there are about uh, 12, 13 prisons uh, across Ireland, and out of those, there are about 20 chaplains. And of those 20 chaplains, 10 would be lay women like myself. Um, there would be about four lay men and five clergy and one nun. So the majority of us would be um, lay people. Oh, that's right. very interesting. I hadn't, I, I'll be honest, I hadn't realised that myself. And I suppose, um, I suppose, but before we kind of get into the ins and outs of, of, of what you do, I suppose, to kind of to share that experience with our listeners this morning, I suppose, can you give us just, I suppose, you know, for many people in Limerick, I suppose the prison is that big hulking grey building at the top of William Street or that part of the city there. And I suppose for many people, for many people, they may not have an encounter with the prison or with the prison staff or maybe with people that are inmates of the prison. So kind of what's... What, what is Limerick Prison like in, in 2020? Well, as you said, it is this big grey building and many people pass it every day. And in, in hindsight, when the prison was first built um, 200 years ago, it would have been seen as a building of austerity. The whole idea is that people would have passed it by in the last 200 years. Um, with the view of wanting never to be go inside the prison walls because it was seen as a deterrent um, to commit any crime because it was so kind of grey and bleak. So moving on to where we are in 2020, um, behind the prison walls, you have approximately 250 prisoners. Of those 250, 220 roughly would be male, men and about 25, 30 would be female prisoners. Okay. And there would be approximately maybe 180 um, staff um, behind the walls. Um, I suppose uh, Limerick Prison would cater for men and women from the Munster area, predominantly Limerick, Clare, Tipperary, um, and obviously other parts of Munster, um, especially because for the female uh, prisoners, they are, would predominantly come from the, all of Munster, including maybe from Wexford to, to Kerry, you know the way. So whereas mm -hmm. the men can come from maybe different parts, um, sometimes maybe into Offaly or whatever, but and there would be movement between different prisons at times. So sometimes we might have prisoners from Dublin mm -hmm. um, or from the Midlands, but especially for the, the women, especially they would, um, the Limerick caters for um, women from the Munster area. Okay. So that's 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 kind of like the, the if you like, uh, do you, would you call it the prison population? It's kind of a strange way to put it. Um, um, we would, I would call it, it's a community. Um, okay. if I would see it as um, a village with mm -hmm. a roof over it. Um, it's the best way to describe it uh, because, you know, we are a community and everyone is there for a reason and we, we just try and 
um, I suppose, do, you know, fulfill our roles, whatever those roles may be. Okay, that's actually, it's an, that is just something, that's a very interesting way of putting it, Christine, the idea that it is, of course, it is a community, uh, it is a community within the city itself, just like any other, if you like, as you said, any other neighbourhood, a, a community with a roof on, I like that way of, I like that way of expressing it, I have to say, and I suppose it does, it does bring it across very well. So, <clears throat> your role, of course, you're, you're one of the chaplains at the prison, so I suppose people were to kind of ask the question well what does a chaplain do because i suppose for some people i suppose the concept of chaplain might be very much linked with a kind of a clerical understanding of the role maybe from a catholic point of view it might be very much linked in with the sacraments so i suppose what in what what does a chaplain do in 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 that community today well i suppose a, a chaplain in general, um, because we sometimes meet chaplains in uh, a hospital environment, in schools, in um, maybe like a, a, there's army chaplains. Mm -hmm. So um, in a prison environment, really, as in any of the, of the other institutions, the role of a chaplain really is to be a presence and I suppose to be like a Christ-like presence um, with the people that you meet. And I suppose as, as a chaplain in a prison environment, my role as the same probably with, with, with Father Michael would be that we meet people where they're at um, because anybody can end up in prison. So you would meet people who it could be their first time in prison and then you might meet the next person. It could be their 20th time or 50th time in prison. Mm -hmm. But our role really is to meet people where they're at and I suppose to provide a spiritual pastoral support uh, to people of all faiths and none. Mm. And to be that comforting and supportive presence within the prison walls, um, because it is, it is a difficult environment for many people. I mean, people end up in prison um, as a punishment, you know, the, the courts have decided that is where they have to be, whether that might be just for a few weeks, a few months, or maybe a few years. Um, but being within prison walls, your freedom is taken away from you, and that is the punishment. So you come to prison as a punishment. You don't come for a punishment. Um, the punishment is that your freedom is taken away. So all the choices we make, we take for granted every day um, are taken away. So everything is controlled. Um, like in a prison, you know, there are no watches, there are no clocks uh, because there is no need to know what time it is because all of that is taken away from you, um, you know, from a prisoner's point of view. Mm. And in terms of, I suppose, in terms of being that presence um, to the prisoners, we, you know, we, we, we can talk about the, the the things that happen in the prison itself, but does that also involve kind of, I suppose, um, an interaction maybe with the families of the prisoners as well? Um, in, indeed, um, our role, because we would be the neutral people within the prison, because you can imagine you have um, governors who are the managerial mm -hmm. um, people in the prison. So they will say that they're the people who wear the suits um, and then you will have officers in uniform and the officers would be in charge of the day-to-day -day running of the prison. 
And whereas myself and Father Michael are the neutral people. And um, so in terms of we're the ones that we're, the, we're, I suppose the best way of describing it is that we're the link between the inside to the outside community and vice versa. So that's why when people phone into the prison, um, especially in relation to wondering how their son or daughter are doing, um, they're directed straight away to the chaplaincy uh, because we're the ones who have access to wings and landings. And I mean, we walk the wings and landings um, and, you know, we, we meet the prisoners every day. Um, mm -hmm. So we're the ones that would have that neutral presence and would be in, in the position to phone families back and to offer reassure, reassurance and um, support yeah. as well. And in terms of, um, I suppose, in terms of, in terms of that interaction with the prisoners, I suppose, when you're dealing with any community, I suppose one of the things that you can learn, um, you know, when you when you when you when you're in a position of that, like what you're in, is that you can have encounters, I suppose, with people and encounters with their faith. Um, so I was just wondering, a kind of. From, from, from you know, can is there things that you can share with us in terms of maybe some of the faith activities undertaken in the prison, or maybe the expressions of faith from from um, people within the prison uh, community that you have come across? Well, I suppose in terms of like organised um, activities or faith activities, um, there there wouldn't be any set. Um, courses or faith programs um, being run at the moment um, because logistically that would be very difficult um, to organize but I know that um, you know if we wanted or if there was a need or a demand we would we would have the contact details of maybe external uh, faith groups or something if if that was what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, we could maybe organise something, um, but logistically it would be quite tricky because it is a prison environment and um, um, it, it just logistically would be a little bit tricky to um, organise external people to come in. Mm -hmm. um, but faith in general is, it's quite an interesting thing um, because obviously we have a chapel, which is part of the 200-year-old uh, building and um, so it is a the chapel is 200 years old so it's a small space it's a very special place and obviously there is mass for the for the men to attend and for the women to attend um, on Sundays um, but in terms of faith or how prisoners express their faith there is something about I think the symbols um, the symbols of rosary beads, um, the plastic bracelets that you can purchase. Um, sometimes you see them um, in various religious shops, um, with bracelets with the pictures of saints on them. Mm -hmm. um, so we provide things like that for the prisoners. Uh, they, it, it's, they like um, holy pictures, um, prayer cards, um, even just lighting a candle in the chapel um or the imagery of our lady so for example when um the, when the redemptorists bring the novena into the prison that's been happening for the last three years now and it's wonderful um during the nine days 
is there's something symbolic of even the image of Our Lady Perpetual Help and people can identify with the image. And so I think faith is expressed in different ways. Um, not everyone can attend mass, but there is a huge personal faith mm. and a huge trust in things like a rosary beads, um, holy water, or picture prayer cards um, would be very much um, you know, requested by a lot of the prisoners. Okay, okay. <clears throat> and in terms of... Um... Uh, in terms of, I suppose, the prison community as well. Um, obviously, you work with the, with the with the with the with the prisoners themselves, and as you said, you're you're some of the outreach in terms of their family. But I presume then also that means you're also um, you're you're also presence there as well for the prison staff, the oh, the, the, the wardens and the and the managerial team. Yes, I, I personally would regard that as um, being very important as well. Um, I suppose because we're, we're seen as prison chaplains, we're not prisoner chaplains. Mm -hmm. So to us, the the whole community, the staff are very important because we work with the staff and uh, every day and we need their help and cooperation because because we have access to the wings and the landings and we have a lot of one-to-one -one contact with many of the prisoners, we, we can't just do that on our own. We need, obviously, um, the presence of officers nearby um, because we have to respect it is a prison environment and we have to respect the security and respect the job that they have to do. So we would be there for them and you know, it's important that we recognize that. And I mean, we help them in whatever way we can or assist them. So sometimes it could literally be just, you know, just sitting down and having a chat or having a cup of coffee with some of the officers or maybe just just linking in. And I suppose that's what we do all the time. We're just trying to link in all the time because um, everyone is so busy. Um, there's a lot to be said for just sometimes listening to people and, you know, just hearing their story or hearing what's going on in their lives or because everyone is experiencing something um, going on. It could be just that there's a relative who's sick. Um, maybe somebody's just had a, a baby. So it's important to try and recognize that and just, you know, to acknowledge that. Um in terms of in terms of the 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 I suppose the the your experience of your 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 work in in, in the prison community, um, I suppose one of the things that struck myself and John when we were we were discussing about you know having having you on to share this about the about the about about the work that you do, and we were just wondering you know for you yourself is there any moments that particularly stand out for you, when perhaps they were like. Um, you know, a Tabor moment, like a, a moment when you could see or say there perhaps was the touch of God in, in that experience or in that person's life or in, in, in that in that in a way that you could share that with us. Or if, is there something that maybe could strike you that you could share with our listeners this morning? Oh, gosh, um, I think there's plenty of um, different. Um, oh, gosh, there's there's so many I'm trying to think of. There, yeah. I, I remember one in particular. Um, I think I had just started um, uh, in my role as chaplain. And when I had first started, I was on my own. 
Um, so I'm chaplain there about three and a half years now. And originally I was on my own for a year and a half and then Father Michael joined um, and then we became a chaplaincy team. And when I was on my own, I remember I there was a prisoner, a male prisoner in particular, and there had been a death in the family and he was unable for, um, for various reasons. He was unable to attend um, the, the funeral home which was the only thing he would have been allowed to attend. And he was very upset uh, for various reasons and was a close member of his family. So uh, between different things, I'd spent a lot of time with him and um, I spoke to him and he was happy that I went to the funeral, the funeral mass. And because it was geographically, we'll say within 10 miles of the prison. So it was within the outskirts of Limerick um, I was able to attend and I did so. And um, I think what was most touching is that I came back and I sat down with him again and I explained everything that happened at the funeral. And I had the funeral booklet and I read the booklet with him because this man in particular, he had he couldn't read or write. And it was my first encounter with somebody who had um, had literacy issues to that extent. And it was just that moment of where it was just the two of us um, going through the mass booklet. And I'll always remember he asked me what was placed on the coffin in, in the church. And I explained everything to him. But it was just one of those moments where I just thought, oh, my gosh, I'm actually getting emotional thinking about it. Um, because it was at that moment and I thought, oh, gosh, this is what chaplaincy is about. Mm. Um just to make that connection, because then when he was able to speak to his family later on, he was able to say, oh, I know what was what hymns were sung. I know what was on the coffin. Um, I got the booklet um, and it just made it easier for him. And it also made it easier for his family because I met his family at the funeral. So they knew that I was there not instead of him, but I was there just that link. You know, so I was able then they knew I was able to go back to him straight away and refer everything back to him. And it meant a lot for them. So I think that was one of those moments where I could just see the power, of, I suppose, of the spirit working. Mm. That's that I have to say, that's 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 that I have to say, Christina, that is a lovely. Uh, that's a that. Thank you for sharing that with us and sharing that with our listeners this morning. We'd love to keep going, I'm afraid. But unfortunately, <laughs> um, Time is against us on the radio program this morning. Uh, so, Christine, thank you so much for coming on with us this morning and sharing uh, some of your experiences and some of what it is to be chaplain to the, the prison community in, as, as, as you said yourself, in Limerick City. Thank you so much, Christine, for joining us on the program this morning. Now, to close this part of the program, you had made a suggestion for us in terms of a piece of music. Would you like to tell us what that is? Yes, I did think about this and I went for Amazing Grace, I suppose, because for many it would be seen as um, nearly a prisoner's national anthem in some ways, because it is one of those very poignant, very moving um, pieces of music. And I think it's just that um, the fact the story behind it, um, that uh, it was written in the late 1700s um, by John Newton, and he was a man who was involved in the slave trade. 
and he he used to be involved in the shipping. So he used to be on the ships bringing slaves over and back. And he almost had a near-death experience because he was involved in a violent storm on a ship and he thought he was going to die and he looked for God's forgiveness. And I suppose it's this is why the hymn is very much about mercy and redemption. And he obviously survived the storm and he later then became a, a preacher or a pastor in London and then went on to be involved in abolishing the slave trade. So it was almost like it, it's just... He he went full circle, and I I just think it's just a lovely hymn, and it's we often sing it um or you know in in the prison chapel, and it's just very moving um especially when the prisoners um sing along with it so it's it's just it's a very special hymn and I think it would be very appropriate. Okay, thank you very much, Christina. That's what we'll have now to close out this part of the program. Amazing Grace. One of the world's most moving hymns was written by a former slave trader, John Newton, who said, I hope it will always be a subject of humiliating reflection to me that I was once an active instrument in a business at which my heart now shudders. He poured the deep remorse for his sins into music and wrote the haunting spiritual classic, Amazing Grace. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Judy Collins with the Boys Choir of Harlem under the direction of their founder and director, Mr. Walter J. Turnbull. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved us.
So welcome back again to the third part of Sacred Space 102FM from our Common Sea studio here in Ada. Uh, Shane Ambers is still joining me and also Christine Hockter. And again, thanks, Christine. That, that was wonderful uh, to, to, to hear you just break open that little bit of life in that village that we weren't appreciative of. And the only thing that I, I can say at this particular stage, one way we can help each each other's uh, and especially those who are working in that environment and, and those in there is to just remember them in our prayers because we all need help. Anyway, at this part of the program, as I said, we'll maybe read and reflect on the Word of God, the Sunday Gospel. Before that, Shane shares a prayer before reading and reflecting on Scripture. Thanks, Shane. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your Word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this Word reverently, attentively and humbly. May we not despise this Word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed nor our minds wander, but may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this, Father, in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that, Shane. So the Gospel for today, the 21st Sunday in Ordinary Time, is again taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 13 to 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he put this question to his disciples. Who do you say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say he's John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah. Or one of the prophets. But you, he said, who do you say I am? Then Simon Peter spoke up. You are the Christ, he said, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, Simon, son of Jonah, you are a happy man, because it was not flesh and blood that revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. So I now say to you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of the underworld can never be hauled out against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. 
Whatever you bind on earth will be considered bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be considered loosed in heaven. Then he gave the disciples strict orders not to tell anyone that he is the Christ. So that's the gospel for today, for the 21st Sunday in Ordinary Time. Shane, have you got a few thoughts you might run and lead us into, please? Yeah, um, I suppose reading and trying to reflect on this week's Sunday Gospel, um, there are various different themes, I suppose, that we can pick up on it. Um, there's the whole thing, of course, of Peter and the, 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 the role of Peter and our understanding of it, particularly within the understanding of the Catholic community, uh, what, what Peter's role is as, as, the, as the, the head of the College of Apostles, I think is how the church would describe it itself. But there's also, I think, very much, um, I think for me this week, there's a section of this gospel which very much speaks to us, uh, each individually. And it's interesting because it is, it, is a, it is a piece which is picked up in all the synoptics. It's picked up in Mark and it's picked up in Luke. Not quite the same way, but the question is something similar. And you have the similar response, which is from Peter. And that, of course, is that question that's there in us. First of all, Jesus asks the apostles, who do people say I am? So he was trying to gauge what was the kind of the perception of his work and his ministry, bearing in mind that he's coming towards the end of his time and the facing back towards Jerusalem and ultimately what was going to happen in Calvary. And we get the response, people think he was a prophet, he's Elijah, he's Jeremiah. Elijah and Jeremiah, very strong patriarchs, very strong prophets in the Jewish tradition, even in the modern, even, even up to today when Jews are celebrating um, the Passover, there's, a te- there's an empty chair left at the table in expectation of the arrival of Elijah. So, you know, people were associating, associating Jesus with these strong personalities in the Jewish tradition and the fact that they would be, you know, coming back. And then I think we get to the key question in this week's gospel. And Jesus says to the apostles and to Peter, who do you say that I am? And I think for each of us this Sunday, I think that needs to be the question that we ask ourselves and we think about. Sometimes, I suppose, we can trundle along, I suppose, with routine and, you know, particularly in a non-COVID life, you know, we were going to Mass on Sunday and we were doing our bits and we're doing that. But in the world that we live in at the moment, where everything is challenged and everything is strange and we have this new normal that we're all trying to cope with. And I suppose in that scenario, you have people, you know, the, the whole thing of people trying to make sense of what's going on around them and their relationship with the world and their relationship with an understanding of, you know, the bigger questions in life. The questions for Christians in general is, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? Because that is the fundamental question that we that makes Christianity different, is their understanding of the role, the person, who was this Jewish workman carpenter 2,000 years ago, and what did he do? And who was he, and what was his role, and what are the consequences of the things that have come out of that? And where, where, you know, his importance for us as individuals, because as Christians, we believe, of course, that he is the son of God. He is one part of the Trinity uh, and that he came into our world. He came into our existence. He walked in time with us uh, to save us from 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 
from death, from sin. And what you ha we have to ask ourselves sometimes that question, who do you say that I am? Because for each of us, you know, we're baptized as children in Ireland. That's the tradition. That's our custom. And sometimes we never get that opportunity to necessarily turn around and think about that question for ourselves. Who do you say that Jesus is? Um, despite you know, everything that we do in terms of school and Catholic education, that sometimes that question and that space is never given to people until they get to a moment or a time in their life where they're on their own or they're facing a difficulty like we've had over the last couple of months in terms of COVID and been able to ask that question, who is Jesus for me? And it's a very personal response. You know, in the ancient history of the church, it was the basic question. It was the kerygma, that profession of faith that we would that a person would make. But because we are in a situation where it's become so cultured towards us and sometimes we can almost say the word words without understanding or thinking maybe about what we mean. It comes almost wrote, it becomes rote almost within us. So I think for me this Sunday, that would be one of the key questions I would say to people as you're reflecting and pausing for the coming week just to think about that and what is the answer that comes to mind. The second thing that struck me about it was very much that whole dialogue with Peter. And of course, in the Catholic tradition, that's understood as, if you like, the, the formation of the Christian community and how we express that in terms of the what in terms of the church. Not just I don't necessarily mean there in terms of the, the institutional church, but rather the faith community on Pubble Day, as we say in Irish, the people of God that makes up the faith community. And the fact that Peter's role was to lead that community. And there's two things that struck me about it. First of all, the Peter as the rock, it wasn't on Peter as the individual. It was on Peter's declaration of faith that who Christ was. And that goes back to the first question, who do you say that I am? So it's not that Jesus was building this, this, this community on Peter and on the you know, the mortal people that have succeeded Peter in the church, be they priests or popes or people or whichever. Because after all, the church is called to be holy. The people of God are called to be holy. But we all know that we are sinners on that journey. But rather, the faith, that the rock that it is founded on is that belief, that profession of faith in who Jesus is. And for each of us, I suppose, that is something that we, we need to think about and we need to consider. You know, often on the program, we have said that to be a Christian is to be in communion and in community. Like the two go together. You can't be a, you know, a solitary Christian. It's almost an oxymoron, a contradiction in terms. So that's, I suppose, something for us to think about this weekend is our relationship with Christ, our relationship with Jesus, asking ourselves the question, who do we say Jesus is? And then the corollary of that, I suppose, is are we aware of our place in the community of faith, in the community of Christians? And what what does that mean? And that can be challenging. You know, we know in Ireland, the church, that people are clinging to our relationship, both with the faith and with the institution by our fingertips. It's often difficult. And sometimes, like a Sunday gospel that's, poured out for us there for the moment. It's a reminder to us who Jesus was, 
but it's also a reminder to us that it's a faith community based on our belief in him that is what we are called to belong to by virtue of our baptism. So that was a couple of thoughts, John, that just struck me in terms of this Sunday's gospel. Christine, was there anything in particular maybe that um, struck you in terms of the gospel? Um, it was just a, a couple of things very similar to what you were saying. I suppose it was about, you know, um, Christ asking about who do you say I am? And again, that whole self-reflection of putting it back on ourselves as well as to say, who who do we say we are? Um, if we're baptized in, in the faith of Christ, you know, do we act like that we are, you know, baptized um, people in terms of are we true to our faith by even doing the simple things in life of being kind, compassionate, caring, listening to people. And I suppose seeing it from a chaplain's point of view, you know, who do I say I am or who do people say I am? And I, I suppose I try and be the best version of myself by being a Christ-like presence within a, uh, a prison community. Um, but also as well, just in reflection, um, that, you know, the fact that I just do that within a prison um, environment, but it, it applies to all of us to be compassionate, to be caring. And I suppose this, the symbolism of, as well of today of, you know, Peter and, you know, passing on the faith, um, you know, that Jesus passed it on to Peter to build the church. I mean, we as people are the church. The church isn't a building. It's us as a community. And it's important, you know, that we, in, in many ways, the, the symbol of the keys as well, I suppose, I, I, I saw that symbolic because of prisons being linked to keys and unlocking and locking people um, up. Um, it's the fact that keys, when you unlock people um, in a prison environment, you know, you, you're opening people, you're allowing people to be who they are and maybe to express themselves. Um, but just the fact as well that um, Peter today is Pope Francis and Pope Francis is a very compa um, compassionate Pope um, towards those who are marginalised. And one of the first things he did when he became Pope was to wash the feet of prisoners on on Holy Thursday um, during Lent. And it's something he continues to do all the time. So I, I think it's it's the um, it's just the, the symbolism of it all. Um, and for us that we are the church. And I think we are being asked to pass on the faith and pass on, um, you know, to, to live as Christians, to be compassionate um, and taking the time out to be, to listen to people um, because everyone is on a different journey and everyone is struggling at the moment. And um, it's just important to, to be there for people. Christine, thank you so much. And, and Shane, thanks, Christine, for the wonderful thoughts, something for us all to take away with. This morning, when we hear um, Peter being asked by Jesus, who do you say I am? And Peter come back um, by faith, because it was revealed to him by God the Father, who, who said, you're Christ, the son of the living God. And I suppose, as, as the two lads just mentioned before me, what would we say? 
if we met Jesus and Jesus said, who do you think we are? And the only thing that came back to me this morning was, I suppose, again, um, that faith come in, you know, that, 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 that only by faith could I really answer that, which is, is Christ, the Son of the living God. And that led me back then to be thinking of all the people who helped me on my faith journey. Be parents, teachers, people I've met throughout my life. And to me, it's so important, as best we can, to be able to pass on that faith, as Christine just said, to people who might be on a different journey than me. And I might have speak a, speak a different language than the language that I heard it when I was growing up. But so important, maybe just ask the Holy Spirit there, to help us as best we can to share the faith we, we, we have to, a, to somebody who might be on a different journey to ourselves. And with that, as a piece of music that I'd love to go out with this morning uh, to finish off the programme. But before that, I'm sure, Shane, you want to share with me in, in thanking Christine for joining us on the programme today? Definitely, Christine. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us. Uh, and we were delighted to have you on. Perfect. Thank you. Oh, thank you. No, I was delighted to join you this morning. I'm, I'm delighted. Thank you. And so with that, we'll go out with a piece of music. It's by Don Moen and it's entitled Thank You, Lord. Join us again next week, where next week uh, our, our, our guest is a sister of the Assumption, Sister Bride Coonan, who journeyed from an ice cream, working in an ice cream um, factory in Cork uh, through many years around the Limerick area here and then continued on to Brazil. A wonderful story. It was, I interviewed her there, um, some months back, uh, about 80 minutes in total with the interview. So that will be in a two-part two part for the next two weeks but in the meantime thanks again to Christine and we'll we'll leave you with this beautiful piece of music by Dan Moen entitled Thank You Lord so until next week for myself Shane and Christine God bless you all now bye 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 the Bible says it's a good thing to give thanks to the Lord amen Darkness and gave me your love. 
Your name. 